Chapter 4 of The First American Sister of Charity, Elizabeth Bailey Seaton, by John Clement Reveal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 The Lilies of the Valley. The house on Paca Street, where Mrs. Seaton opened her school, may well be compared to one of those resting places mentioned in the history of the Hebrew people on their long journey from the house of bondage to the promised land. Like the chosen people, she was not to tarry long, for it was but a halt on the journey towards the goal. Yet great things were done there. It was her novitiate both as a religious and as a teacher. The atmosphere of the city where John Carroll was undoubtedly the most important figure, and where Catholics were numerous and prominent in every walk of life, was quite different from that of New York, where Catholics were few, and where they did not have the prestige of possessing among them such a commanding figure as the illustrious shepherd of Baltimore. The exile was welcomed by Catholics and Protestants alike with true Southern hospitality. The little school soon had all that its narrow limits could hold and its teachers supervise. These were Mrs. Seton herself, her bright and faithful Anna, and Miss Cecilia O'Conway, the daughter of an eccentric but learned Irish schoolmaster, Matthias James O'Conway, philologist, lexicographer, and interpreter of languages, as he styled himself, who was well known in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia in the beginning of the 19th century. The brave father himself brought his daughter to Baltimore and offered her to Elizabeth. Providence had despoiled the schoolmistress of Paca Street of money and wealth. It made her rich in friends who never forgot her. Even now, Antonio and Filippo Felici were watching over their American sister's temporal welfare, just as they had formerly been so solicitous for her spiritual good. At this moment, God sent Elizabeth the generous help of one whose name should also be remembered by American Catholics. Mr. Samuel Cooper, a convert from an old Virginia family, and then studying for the priesthood in St. Mary's Seminary. Mr. Cooper had some fortune and was anxious to spend it in behalf of Christian education. The valiant woman of Paca Street asked herself in the silence of her heart whether the fervent convert might not be willing to help in the work she yearned to begin. Without any previous arrangement, both spoke of the matter to Father Dubourg. After a month, during which the zealous priest and the two souls whom he directed had commended their plans to God, it was decided that a larger field should be found for the work. Yielding to Mr. Cooper's wise advice, the house on Paca Street was to be abandoned, and the community over which Mrs. Seaton presided for her household really deserved that name, was to be transferred to a piece of property known as the Fleming Farm, bought by Mr. Cooper at Emmitsburg, a village about fifty miles northwest of Baltimore. The words of wisdom were being fulfilled in our heroine and in those through whom she was accomplishing her task. She hath considered a field and bought it. Wisdom 21.16 Verily, in the words of the same holy book which follow, her traffic was good. Her lamp shall not be put out in the night. 
The ladies in the house on Packer Street were religious in all but the name. Their number had been increased by the arrival of Maria Murphy, niece of the illustrious Matthew Carey, the first publisher of the Douay Bible in the United States, champion of Irish rights and one of the ablest publicists of the time. Then Mary Ann Butler and Susan Clossy arrived from New York and joined the little band. They were soon followed by Rose White and Catherine Mullen. Then, sometime before the departure for Emmitsburg, came Cecilia and Harriet Seaton, sisters of William McGee Seaton, and dearer to the heart of Elizabeth than words can tell. The first already a Catholic, the second soon to follow her sister into the fold. The first American sister of charity had made her novitiate. The dress she and her companions wore marked them off as consecrated to God. The life she led, a life of prayer, abnegation, often of downright suffering and want, but always of deepest trust and union with God, had more and more cleansed her heart, already purified by the sufferings of the lazaretto by the estrangement showed her by her loved ones in the hour of her conversion by the death of her nearest and dearest it made her ready for the sacrifice she was now going to offer to god a more formal consecration of herself seemed to be needed so in the presence of bishop carroll and the few priests she was admitted to pronounce the simple vows of poverty chastity and obedience these vows bound her only for the space of one year but could be renewed when that term expired her heart overflowed with joy but she could not look upon the honor thus conferred upon her without a sentiment of deep humility and almost of fear her vows made her in a still more formal manner than before the superior of her little community the task terrified her on the very evening of the day when she had pronounced them she fell upon her knees in the presence of her sisters openly acknowledged her sins and exclaimed how can i teach others who know so little of myself and am so miserable and imperfect her sisters mingled their tears with hers but they were tears of admiration and love the time for the exodus to emmitsburg had come the noble-hearted Father Dubois, superior of Mount St. Mary's College, close to the sisters' new home, had a house ready for their coming. Although they lacked every comfort, almost every necessity, in this apostle, one day to become Bishop of New York, Mother Seton and her children found a father and a guide. He was the friend of Lafayette. A future president of the United States, James Monroe, had given him hospitality in his Virginia home, and Patrick Henry, the American Demosthenes, had taught him English. The aristocratic society of Virginia pronounced John Dubois the most cultured and refined gentleman in the United States. The poor and the suffering, as well as great men like Cheverew and Carroll, reverenced and loved him as a priest after God's own heart mother seton could find no better spiritual director for her household divided into groups mother seton her beloved anna harriet and cecilia seton and cecilia o'conway pioneered the way the community had made the long journey of fifty miles from baltimore 
to the valley which was to be their permanent home. The exodus began on June 21, 1809. The stone house on the Fleming farm soon had its first mass, said by Father Dubourg on the 31st of July, the feast of St. Ignatius. There were by this time ten sisters in the community. The names of these dauntless pioneers and brides of Christ among the first of our American womanhood to give themselves to God in religion deserve to be remembered. Elizabeth Bailey Seaton, Cecilia O'Conway, Maria Murphy, Maria Burke, Suzanne Clossy, Mary Ann Butler, Rose White, Catherine Mullen, Sarah Thompson, and Helen Thompson. The fairest lilies were they that grew in St. Joseph's Valley, green-walled by the hills of Maryland. Nature had prepared them a dwelling place. The little village near which their convent home was slowly growing slumbered quietly between the upper stream of the Monocacy and the Catoctin Ridge of the South Mountain. In her beautiful life of Mother Seton, Madame de Barberet has well described the scene. The travelers had come to the valley, when nature wore its loveliest hues, when the freshness of spring still lingered and blended with summer's early bloom. The delicate pink and snowy blossoms of the apple and cherry trees had vanished, but the boughs of the cherry trees were loaded with fruit that glowed like rubies. Beneath flamed the scarlet Virginia strawberry growing in riotous profusion among the moss and the sordid ferns. The hedges were bright with roses, the superb beauty of the rhododendron, the white and yellow azaleas, the trailing clusters of the jasmine scarlet flowers, the white trumpet-shaped blooms of the convolvulus, the sassafras, whose tiny fruit dangled like a ball of jet from a coral thread. Similax and phlox and begonia everywhere dazzled the eye and made Elizabeth think of the gardens of Florence, for over them bent a sky as blue as Italy's, while through thicket and wood darted like a flame the cardinal bird, and the mockingbird's deceptive and polyglot symphonies fell upon the ear. This was home. This was sacred ground. To this cloistered solitude God had called Elizabeth and her spiritual children. Here they would rest and find peace. For twelve years she was to be the lady of the valley, the mistress of this calm abode, the guide, the mother of all who dwelt in this oasis far from the turmoil and passions of the world, of that world and its doings little filtered into the solitude of St. Joseph's Valley. When the school was ready, children came, and at the end of 1810 the boarders alone numbered over fifty. Between their scholastic duties and their religious exercises, the sisters' life was divided. They heard of great wars desolating Europe, of the power and conquest of Napoleon, of the captivity of the saintly Pius VII, and they prayed for the return of peace and the triumph of justice. Such events as the inauguration of James Madison as president, our disasters and successes in the War of 1812, the burning of Washington, our skill and gallantry on the seas and on the lakes, the victory of Andrew Jackson at New Orleans, after which at the entrance of the cathedral Father Dubourg crowned the victor's brow with laurel, the election of James Monroe to the presidency, 
these tidings reached of course the secluded valley of st joseph and filled the heart of mother seton and her community with joy for our triumphs with sorrow for our disasters they were sisters of charity and they loved the great country where in freedom and peace and honored of all they were trying to serve god and help their neighbor but the world in its ways little affected their lives indirectly though most efficaciously they were toiling for its betterment in the cause of sound and christian education and by their sanctity and unselfishness in their secluded dell the lilies lifted their white flowers to the sunshine and the dews of heaven little disturbed by the storm that in other parts of the world swept by bending the proudest heads beneath the gale in the spring of eighteen ten the apostle of kentucky benedict flaget bishop-elect of bardstown sailed from bordeaux for the united states twice the ship that bore him was stopped by english cruisers when their commanders learned who the distinguished frenchman was they courteously let him pass it is quite likely that it was only to men like him to chevreux or dubois or dubourg the fame of whose apostolic labors had gone abroad that england then impressing our seamen would have accorded that honor bishop flaget bore a precious document a copy of the constitution of the daughters of charity of st vincent de paul this constitution mother seton and her daughters were anxious to know and understand for they thought that the spirit of vincent de paul so broad so human so kindly so christ-like so full of the simplicity of the gospel would suit the needs and ideals of the young republic of the west and satisfy the head and the heart of the daughters of the sturdy democracy of the united states they were not mistaken with some slight changes endorsed and approved by the prudent and far-seeing archbishop carroll the constitution was adopted by the community it was an inspiration which the daughters of st vincent have never regretted and for which the catholics of america must ever be profoundly grateful the finger of god was evident in its adoption his grace has for one hundred years been everywhere manifest in the fidelity and the love with which the daughters of mother seton have followed st vincent's constitution there was a constitution then to observe it was not hard to find a leader in spite of some difficulties connected with the necessary care which mother seton had to bestow on her children at the election of officers of the new community and congregation held in eighteen twelve she was unanimously chosen superioress she kept that post for three terms until her death in eighteen twenty one while she lived her daughters could think of no other mother the same election made rose white assistant mother catherine molan treasurer a splendid sinecure for the money-box was empty and anna gruber procuratrix a year was fixed for the trial of the new constitution the limit prescribed passed eighteen sisters pronounced the simple vows of religion to the names already familiar to us we must now add those of elizabeth boyle angela brady adele salva louise roger margaret george martina quinn fanny jordan theresa conway and julia shirk 
Their vow day was the 19th of July, 1813, the feast of their patron and patriarch, St. Vincent de Paul. A week later, a regular novitiate was established, with Sister Catherine Mullen as mistress of novices. The lilies of the valley were in full bloom. No, not all, for, like flowers bending under heavy showers, Harriet Seton, her sister Cecilia, both so dearly loved of Mother Seton, and lastly her darling Anna, now by her vows doubly her child, had dropped to earth and were sleeping quietly in their humble graves. Over Harriet and Cecilia, Elizabeth deeply mourned. But when Anna, whose exquisite beauty was but the outward sign of the angelic purity of her soul, her mother's pride and joy, her helpmate and comforter in the dark days of the lazaretto, was taken away, she was like Rachel mourning over her dead. But the saintly Simon Gabriel Brute had prepared Anna for that eternity with God for which she longed. He comforted the mother. Anna's sisters, Rebecca and Catherine, had joined their innocent voices when on her deathbed Anna had asked them to sing her favorite hymn. Mother Seton had knelt near them and pressed the crucifix to the lips of her dying child, while Father Brute's priestly hand was lifted in a parting blessing over what seemed to be the form of some celestial being that had strayed from paradise. At her darling's grave, the mother had but the strength to murmur the words, Father, thy will be done. End of chapter 4